Oh my god. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Artifact number 28. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Schneider. She's a poet, critic, and novelist. And most recently, she wrote a bunch of essays on the uh, Richard Linklater film trilogy, um, the Before Trilogy. The first of those essays is already up on automaticnation.com. The next two are going to be up maybe in the next couple of weeks or so. And uh, well, first, I want to talk about the Patreon a little bit. So today, uh, an exciting thing happened. Uh, some patron edited his uh, patronage from $5 a month to $100 a month. I don't know who this person is. Uh, he or she has not responded to my messages, but I just want to make a public acknowledgement that now we are uh, a third uh, of the way to the first milestone, which is $500 uh, a month. Once that hits, I'll upload videos of myself, maybe do some live streaming of me just like actually working on my writing. Uh, and that should be exciting. Maybe we'll do some sort of like workshopping down the road. But thank you guys for being subscribers. Thank you for being patrons. After we finish this conversation uh, for Artifact, Jessica and I are just going to have a, a more sort of informal discussion, maybe not related to the films, but just things in general, maybe the arts, whatever else. Half mm -hmm. an hour, 45 minutes, an hour if she could, if she, if she could stick it out. And if she could look, look, I don't want to pressure her to like start drinking wine, but if she decides to have a glass, I'll have a glass. And if well, she decides I'm, to have two, I'll have two. I might have it for the chat. I'm sober for the okay. formal okay, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. We have to be professional on the outside. Yes, yes. And then we could we could get lit. I mean, it gets wild in the patron only feed. So you want to check that out anyway, sober or not. It's pretty wild out there. So um, anyway, let's just start uh, with this uh, film trilogy. I actually came across it as an adult. So I don't have uh, maybe some of the associations that Jessica might have since she uh, was watching it as, as a, a young adult or maybe even as a teenager. Um, so I, I guess I would start with uh, what is it specifically about this film trilogy that has stuck with you over the years and uh, is it just a sort of like nostalgia factor or um, what makes it special to you basically is how I would phrase it well when I think back of when I saw the first film I described in my essay um, it was the summer of 1995 and I was 19 and that was sort of my first film that I that I saw that I remember being artsy talky and really loving it. And, and so it showed like just what great dialogue can do, can pull you in. And I'm a 19 year old and I'm watching this and I, you know, and I remember thinking, why don't they make more films like this? And, um, so I'm watching this late at night and, and I, I, uh, in the, in the first film, um, before sunrise, it just has this wonderful kind of longing feeling there's a wistfulness i felt pulled into uh you know into vienna with the characters wandering the streets as they were and it really captured the feelings that i was having at that time and so one of the things about this trilogy you know and then later i saw the the second one and of course i saw the third one as an adult a few years ago 
um, you know, is that you can watch these films and at different eras in your areas in your life relate to the characters. Then you watch it's sort of the, the films work in real time and they work in, as memories, too. So sometimes when I was writing those three reviews, I wasn't sure then do I discuss this as present tense or past tense? Because it's like then you can watch now. Now I watch Before Sunrise and it's a memory. It's it's a memory for the characters, but it's also a memory for me. And uh, so, you know, it just it just showed I, I thought, you know, from my perspective, my 19 year old mind, I remember just thinking, you know, why don't more people talk like this? Why don't more people speak this way and talk about these things? And um, and then from there, it was just seeing the other two and and uh, one, one of the things I do mention in my review, though, is that is 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 lovely as the first film is i feel like this you know is the trilogy is a great trilogy but i feel like the first film one of one thing that's quote unquote if you want to use the word ruined and i don't think it's really ruined but i'm just saying is the first film you don't know if they're going to meet it just ends and mm -hmm. i remember just thinking as this i go most movies don't do this they always have the happy ending and i was like Oh, and it just really, you know, it summed it up. But then, of course, you know, by the time you realize they do and, and what happens, that element is lost. But, you know, you, you get more, too. You, a lot is gained. So that just comes with the territory. So yeah. how was it like for you? Um, I, 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 I actually hadn't watched uh, the final uh, film of the trilogy up until the last couple of weeks. Um, but I, I, I had watched the first two when I was a little bit younger, uh, but maybe not uh, young enough to maybe have some of these associations. But but I mean, even so, like I, I could understand the uh, nostalgia. I could I could understand the romance. And I mean, there's enough of sort of like intellectual strain throughout. Mm -hmm. Where you you know you could watch the film critically, right? On the one hand, like yes, I guess if you're young enough, you have sort of a, a maybe some of that emotional attachment. But as you get older, there's enough uh, sort of a intellectual material there that you could mm -hmm. start evaluating the characters. You could start evaluating questions like, mm -hmm. you know, do, uh, do we think that Ethan Hawke's character Jesse? Uh, would in fact become a writer? Is it going to be any good? Mm -hmm. uh, does mm -hmm, his commentary, mm -hmm. you know, portend, you know, anything of substance down the road? So, like, I, like, and that's the interesting thing. I feel like, um, even you, even if you sort of miss out, um, early on in the film, uh, as you get older and you do these kinds of rewatchings, you start uh, picking up on exactly the kind of things that they're going through as they are also getting older, right? So you're getting yeah. older, they're getting older. Um, you start noticing things like, oh, look, um, uh, what they're going through, uh, or rather like some of the dialogue uh, that occurs in the second and third film, it becomes far less intangible, right? Like in the first film, it's, it's, it's very sort of a lot of it is very sort of abstract. It's kind of going into the future. It's um, it's not necessarily like a big picture mm -hmm. view of life, but they are kind of like what I what I call like a, a pitter patter of like little insights, right? Mm -hmm. Some of those uh, little insights aren't necessarily all that strong, but even so, like I remember when I was working my first novel, I was also in my uh, early twenties. Um, I also felt like I was doing the same thing where I was like kind of like summing up everything that I already knew about life up until that point. Mm -hmm. And this film kind of has the same sort of effect. And, you know, as the characters mature and as you mature, 
um, you notice that the things that you talk about and the things that you care about and the things that strike you as interesting, um, they they simply change, right? They change uh, mm-hmm. uh, more or less how uh, uh, the films change. So that that's definitely an interesting mm-hmm. dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like that first, you know, the first film is just takes place with a single night. And for the, for the characters and for the person, the viewer is, is how much that night means, how much can happen in a single night. And it's sort of like this little bubble. So it's like, it's like, you know, this took place, the film is set on June 16th, 1994. So I can remember where I was in June 16th, 1994, not on that specific day, but I had just graduated high school and it was before I was going to start college. I mean, I hadn't seen the film yet. I didn't, I wouldn't see it till on VHS till that was Blockbuster, rented it from Blockbuster. That's until summer of 95. I was 19. So um, t- very different time then. And so it gives you just a nostalgia for the actual film. You feel like you're traveling with them. You're in Vienna in the 90s, but it's not, but it still has that timeless quality. And I like that, uh, that Linklater, you know, he, it, it is a timeless film, but he doesn't make it necessarily completely timeless. You know that it's in the 90s. He's talking about like the cable access channels that if anyone doesn't know what that was, if you ever saw the movie Wayne's World, that's what that's about, about those two guys start this dumb show on cable access. That's sort of like what this now we have YouTube. So we don't need that. But that was sort of what YouTube was before, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's just um I like it. Jesse's like, have you ever, you know, I thought I'd make a, a show guy pouring a little coffee, reading the paper and Selene goes, so all these boring fucking things we do in everyday mm-hmm. life. It's like, well, I was going to say the poetry of everyday life. And that's sort of a little bit of the film. You could see somebody watching this film and saying, this is why do we want to see them walking around? You know, someone who didn't like deep dialogue or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the film is the poetry of everyday life yeah. kind of thing. I mean, heightened, of course. The, the irony is that um, Jesse's idea for, you know, the, the poetry of everyday life just follow kind of like people's uh, banal uh, little moments that eventually was done, but it was done specifically through the Internet. Like I remember like when um, YouTube first came out, uh, one thing that was happening was like uh, some guy that nobody even knows of anymore. Right. He was just kind of like filming him, himself 24 seven. So people were kind of doing that. Right. Simply, you know, it had that kind of like novelty factor. But, um, you know, it, it grows old pretty quickly right Mm -hmm. just like with everything uh and it's it's also like a nice little metaphor for uh, what happens with the films the progression from uh, the first to the second to the third where Mm -hmm. you know uh, you you can't simply have this you know theoretical model of uh you know something that you think would be interesting like when you sit down to actually do it and maybe some of these novelties uh wear off like in the second film jesse says like oh you know uh, uh you you could stop thinking that every sec you know every sexual experience will become like life-changing you know mm-hmm. so you know uh, uh as the novelty wears off you start realizing well i i, I do need to do something at least like that has the veneer mm-hmm. of substance, not that necessarily what mm-hmm. came, you know, on YouTube or whatever later was of, of substance, but you know, you, you, you needed some kind of thing, some kind of fulcrum to have beyond, you know, these like little ideas. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, like the, the first film, uh, uh, maybe you could just kind of like go a little bit, uh, a little bit scene by scene. Uh, it, it very much is uh, a young person's film, whether it's like the romance or the nostalgia factor or whatever, or just, um, you know, like that pitter patter of like insights. And there, there's a nice mix, right? So in your article, you actually do isolate some of the 
uh, best dialogue in the film. Right. Mm-hmm. But not every uh, uh, snatch of dialogue is necessarily like that. Like some of the examples that I have when um, uh, 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 Jesse and Celine are talking, uh, uh, it's 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 stuff like, you know, I know planes are safer, but I can always see the explosion. Right. Like mm-hmm. you can sort of it, it's kind of like something that's there's realism there. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you have, you know, too many of these lines in one film, it's sort of kind of like wears on you a little bit. Right. Where you're, you're, you start looking for something kind of like more totalizing right and you you get the totality and maybe in some weird way that does kind of play up to maybe some of the strengths because the totality that you ultimately do get maybe not altogether in this film but from the three you you do end up getting that totalizing force but um it's going to come in the context of all three and not necessarily in some of the earlier pitter patter of just young people talking getting to know one Mm -hmm. another even if these Mm -hmm. are people of both intellectual and, and emotional depth Right. Mm-hmm. And then the second film, they reflect on it. Why didn't we exchange, you know, numbers? Well, you know, there's that was so stupid because honestly, you know, I think the film, from my understanding that the first film is based on is that Linklater met some young woman in um, I think it was like a Philadelphia airport mm-hmm. and like they just talked and then the, I guess the planes left and she ne- he never saw her again or she died later. Because I think he devotes some, he dedicates it or something to her. Uh, and so he took the idea. I mean, obviously, uh, Vienna, Europe is more, inter- you know, romantic than like Philadelphia Airport. But um, he took that idea. And, you know, then you have well, the first one, you know, they don't exchange numbers. And, um, I, I, you know, I thought that that is weird. But at the same time, like nowadays, you'd just be Facebook friends. So yeah. the films wouldn't really work now. You know, now with the digital age, again, I think that's just right on the cusp before the internet. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it worked right at that time. Uh, now it'd be like, oh, let me DM you and let me send you a dick pic, you know? And <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think women like dick pics. It's just kind of like, it's just like a male thing, right? I've never, I've honestly never understood that 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 was ever like a thing that guys do. I mean, you know. Do you ever see the meme where, where they show if men and birds were reversed and they show a man who goes, I I will build this house for you. I will dance Mm -hmm. this dance for you. And then they show two birds and the guy, the male bird goes, here's my dick. Call me. Or Yeah. Um, well, speaking specifically to like uh, the fact that they don't want to change numbers, um, I actually thought that uh, that explanation that they gave us sort of made sense. I mean, if I were in that situation, what I would imagine would happen is you would exchange you know, numbers or maybe you would write to each other. But, you know, within a few months or whatever it would be, you know, one of you would meet somebody else and it would fizzle out. And I mean, because like e- even, you know, even uh, when uh, I, you know, I, I grew up mostly in the digital age, although like when I was uh, much younger, right, it was it was still all analog. You know, there are plenty of people that I met online, even like, you mm-hmm. know, uh, well, I don't want to say women because back then they were girls. Right. Uh, and, you know, we would talk on the phone, we, you know, whatever, but it would also fizzle out simply because literally that distance was there. And of course, like that distance was less insurmountable than like, you know, between France and the United States. 
But um, that was kind of like the natural order of things for like the vast majority of these kind of interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe they were just mutually uh, trying to protect themselves from like the most, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. likely scenario. Yeah. Right? And that's exactly what they say. I don't remember. I, I remember you used to watch The Wonder Years. And do you remember yeah. the, the episode? There's an episode in the early in the series where Kevin meets a girl in Ocean City and yeah um yeah, i remember that she they you know have this you know oh she calls them like brown eyes and then mm-hmm. the narrator says she wrote me a letter she told me how much she missed me she cried and all these things and then he says that was the only letter i ever got from her yeah i and, mean h- how many times is that like I-, I can literally think of so many of those exact situations right of course it would not be physical letters but still right it just happened all the time yeah. right so um, and I do want, you know, I guess that was a sort of kind of like analog experience. But I mean, even so, like, especially now, like, uh, with everything being digital, you have way more options than before. So you probably have even, you know, those scenarios multiply, 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 mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you have more options, uh, you're more willing to to let things go, right? Um, mm-hmm. In that way. So, you know, and also with the first film, so, you know, it's before sunrise. So, so, you know, you're getting this twilight hour. It's sort of like they're walking in this sort of other world um, where time doesn't exist or they're in their own little bubble. And then the really powerful scene is after they say goodbye, they show um, the same scenes they were sitting earlier in the night, in the evening are now abandoned and mm-hmm. they have the morning on them. And so you see things differently and, and it's a beautiful scene and, and, and it's, it says so much without saying anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I was 19 years old and this is one of the first, you know, I would say artistic real films I saw, even though you could probably say it is a young adult film. It's a very intelligent young adult film. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, it's just, it's just like, why, why did there always have to be so many of these teenager movies and so, so many things just fluffy? And I remember even back then, just really wishing for some kind of depth. I, again, I didn't know what it was because I hadn't yet really. I mean, I, I wrote poems, but none of them were very good. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't yet developed at all in that area. But I knew, I knew that was that was there, and then. You know, is it, then we go into the second film and it's different. It's before sunset. So then everything has to be done before the sun goes down where, you know, and again, both films, it's like by the end of the second film, the characters have only spent, what, 48 hours together, if that, not mm-hmm. even. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. So in your uh, first uh, article on Before Sunrise, uh, the way that you conclude it is, I mean, I guess uh, uh, this is also like a valid uh, reading of the film, but the way that I would view the sunrise, I don't I don't view it in this positive uh, way of, um, you know, there's like uh, the dawn of like something new happening. There's this kind of like promise uh, of the future. Mm-hmm. To me, uh, watching it, I get just a kind of like low grade anxiety of like, okay, the sun is actually going to come up. And that actually, you know, ironically enough, that represents not the beginning, but like a kind of end, at least, you know, specifically the narrative of that film. Where she says, she says, we both turn into pumpkins. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, that's it's that's that. Yeah. Yeah, So, so, and, And I mean, that's kind of like the feeling, right? Like, so like at the beginning, you have this very 
gradual buildup of a uh, romantic tension. Ironically enough, when the film uh, was first written uh, just by uh, Linklater, it did not have a romantic element. And although they didn't get uh, a writing credit at first, uh, both uh, Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke did like a rewrite of it where they introduced, you know, the romance, right? So, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, so like you, you see this like gradual buildup of romance and you, Clearly, you know, they have some sort of connection. So as the sunrise is about to come, right, uh, this to me signaled, like, ironically enough, like a, a kind of end. Whereas in a second film, first of all, it's shorter by about 10 minutes, more like 15 minutes, because the last five minutes are just kind of like the credits in the song. Um, hmm. So it's shorter by, let's say, about 10, 15 minutes. And there's a much more kind of from the very beginning, there's this kind of like totally manic atmosphere in the second film where... Both of them know that, okay, there's this plane coming, something like a 7 or 8 p.m. or whatever it is. And uh, uh, they haven't seen each other in so long. They didn't necessarily expect to see one another like this, or at least uh, Jesse didn't expect to see uh, Celine. And as time goes on, things get more and more manic, get more and more emotional. And the ending, uh, despite there being a kind, you know, like a, a sunset, it's much more expansive, right? There's much more... Uh, implication there and there's much it's like it, it plays very nicely with this tension of uh on the one hand so you know she, she's up there and she's kind of like you know she she just sang her song to jesse and then mm -hmm. uh, they're listening to a nina simone song and this kind of like you know offbeat seemingly not totally connected way she's just kind of dancing around and she's talking about other things but she's clearly also sort of alluding to their their shared past Right. So there, mm -hmm. there's a lot of like uh, stuff going on like that. And then ultimately, you know, when they both uh, tend to agree that, yes, I'm going to miss uh, uh, my plane, that sunset has a much richer set of implications for their future. Right. There's mm -hmm. the, there's the manic episodes, but then you have a much more kind of a expansive ending. And mm -hmm. also, I think of the three films, it's the best ending. Well, he decides in that film to make a choice. Yeah. Whereas the first film, I mean, you could say they make choices in the first film, but he decides that he's gonna, he's not gonna just go on the plane. He's gonna, he's gonna say, no, yeah. I don't want that. And uh, so that's diff definitely very different from the first film. Um, also, you get, uh, you get more of a sense of Celine, kind of her person where she, where she lives, her little apartment. And then also just, you know, I think right at the time when that was released, Nina Simone had just died. And so, he Linklater wrote that in. So he was writing yeah, in yeah. the current events of the day. And uh, yeah, and it's sort of like, you know, with Jesse, you're like, how did this guy just get this book published? And then, you know, again, it uses as a writer myself. I mean, we're, you know, we're all sitting here like, yeah, I write this book. And then you end up, you know, putting it on Amazon. And then, you know, like who who gets this kind of like, book deal where you know she sees it's, it it's, and... it's a very different world right and and all yeah. the interviews are kind of like you know done for him he's like oh we'll, we'll fly you out to paris and you'll do this book tour now you have to like engage with idiots on twitter right that's like part of the thing that you have to do um and yeah as for like yeah like uh i i have in my notes that so nina simone has mentioned uh she she died i believe in 2002 Maybe it was 2004, but I think it was like in 2002. So this was a, a, all a very recent. And the fact that that is used, right? So th that does create the sense of kind of like finality, right? There is death, right? There is a kind of passing. And yet 
but I mean, the music is still there, right? That's kind of what's mm -hmm. important, right? Mm -hmm. So there's also, again, this kind of like, uh, you know, expansion that you don't necessarily get in the first film. And also as far as like, yeah, he does end up making a choice that he's not really in the position to make uh, nine years prior, right? So you, you lose some of the magic, you lose some of the nostalgia, but at the same time, you get maybe the most well not maybe it is the most important thing right you get the ability to make choices you get the ability to take control of your life and you get the ability to you know essentially kind of like do uh what you want to do uh and uh, uh the freedom mm -hmm. to actually say i'm going to deal with the consequences or i'm going to accept the consequences i'm not going to pretend you know like they don't exist right mm -hmm. because so. i feel like the difference between the first film and the second film is very stark it's very different because i feel like the second and third film kind of go together and the first film is kind of first off by itself because like i said it has an otherworldly quality that the other two films don't have uh because the other two films well the second one especially is about kind of regrets and what losses and what we missed and one of the things they say they say you know well, i don't remember which character says it but you meet someone and when you're young you take it for granted that you know you really have a lot in common or you really get along because you think oh i'm always going to meet people like this and then you don't and it shows how rare it is that you do you know end up uh connecting with somebody um but but uh, the second film is more like uh, Celine had evolved. I think she evolves into being a little more, um, more, a little more grounded. Both characters are a little more grounded, I think, um, you know, definitely than they were the first one. They, they've been a little hardened, hardened by life, but then of course, by the third film, you, you know, it's, it's the most that you see mm -hmm. that, that transition. And for me personally, like, I think because of the first film, having that idealism and that longing and that sort of capital R romantic quality is is there that is still present in the other two films, but not to the degree. So I think in the second two films, you're smacked more with reality. And so that's what kind of makes it a little makes it, you know, separate from the first film. That's how I see it anyway. Um, so I, I'm going to abandon the whole idea of, uh, doing things scene by scene, because it, it doesn't seem like, uh, this is what we're going to do. Uh, but j just to kind of like jump around a little bit. So like, just at, at the very beginning, uh, I thought it was an interesting choice that, um, so w w w they're, they're meeting on this train to Vienna and there's a German couple there that's, that starts arguing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, the, there's a kind of like native choice by by uh, Linklater's that natively uh, there, there's not going to be any subtitles for what the German couple is saying. In fact, like uh, when I was uh, rewatching on Criterion, when I turn on the the subtitles, it simply says uh, speaking in German, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's kind of like uh, they don't they don't it doesn't even matter what they're saying, right? Mm -hmm. um, on the one hand, it's kind of like a, a way to dismiss that like there's just like a couple arguing of course about some sort of bullshit right that they can't you know they can't bring themselves to like not argue about in public and that's happening on the one hand on the other hand uh that is sort of a uh, the feeling that uh both jesse and celine have when they watch them like okay let's get away from this these people are being silly and annoying but then the third layer is and you get this you know much more when you watch all three films in context 
this is a little bit kind of like what happens to them down the road. And what yes, happens, I was and what, just going to say and it. What, and yeah. what happens to many people, you know, in relationships, maybe not necessarily that level of public bickering, but, you know, everybody is in a relationship going to have some level of arguments, right? You could, when you're uh, very young, roll your eyes at it, but you'll probably be uh, in similar circumstances, maybe not as resentful, maybe mm-hmm. not so bitter, maybe not so unhealthy, but you're going to get some kind of analog like that. It's not something to be uh, ashamed of. You maybe just don't want to do in public, but that's a separate question, right? So um, mm-hmm. in, in context, right, it does uh, give those additional layers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Then it goes, it definitely goes full circle because then you see them at the, by the third film and, you know, they, they're having their own spat, just like you said. And mm-hmm. um, at one point, you know, Celine says, I don't think I even love you anymore. And uh, but it's realistic. And, and that's the thing, that ending of Before Midnight is that it's real. He says this, you know, he's like, my, my love for you, it isn't perfect, but it's real. And that's the difference is that the first film, you know, in the in the first two, especially the whole time they're apart, what they have isn't real. It's It's sort of in their minds. It's fantasy. By the third film, it's real. And so then you're forced, do I like reality? Do I want reality? Because very often it's very common for you to idealize what you know somebody is and then you get to know them and all the little idiosyncrasies and you find out they drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you know, it's not something you think about when you're, you know, what was that ending of one Jeffers poem? Can't remember which one it is, but it, it ends with the line, distance makes clean. And so when something is distant, you don't have to worry about all those uh, little details. Um, so that's that's a big difference. That's why that's why the third film for me is not doesn't have the power of the first film. That doesn't mean in terms of quality it's not there. I'm talking in terms of how it affects me. You know, as a film it, it works, but I, I feel like it's kind of you know dependent a little bit on the first two. But I th- I do think each could stand alone. Um, but obviously, I, 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 well, yeah, I mean, uh, just just to be clear, you do think that the third film is probably the best objectively of the three, not not the first film, right? I don't think you would say that about the first film. Well, I mean, the thing is that about the second, third, like comparing the first two films, the second film is much tighter in the mm-hmm. writing, but you miss out on all the little side kind of pieces of you know mm-hmm. the side people so that element is lost mm-hmm. so in in a game you lose and that's something you know you got to think about and and so even though you can make something let's say objectively better there's still going to be something missing that the first thing mm-hmm. had that this isn't going to have so yeah. um I, it's a tough one i i it's a it's a tough one i mean uh, I mean, certainly the writing is great. Um, I mean, it, it's it's um, probably more succinct, you know. But again, I, I felt I felt you know when I get to the third review and I say this, I felt that was the least relatable of all the films. You know why? Mm-hmm. I mean, because this guy here he is. He's going to Greece and he had who he's staying at this writer's abode, and I'm just like, come on, man, where does this happen? But. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, well, well, just a couple things. So, like, first, um, I do sort of agree that there is something lost, especially when you get to the second film. 
I, I rewatched uh, the second film. Well, I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago, but then again uh, this morning. And one thing I noticed is that although it's definitely tighter, some of the dialogue is simply less interesting uh, to me. And mm-hmm. especially in light of the ending, I viewed it much more as a kind of like, very well it's like a structural bridge right mm-hmm. that uh, uh th- that ending provides a, a kind of like a, a you know very poetic totalizing structure i do think again that it's the best ending of the three films um but some of those individual pieces uh aren't necessarily even if like overall maybe they're, they're better written than the first film it, it's true that you do get some of those extras right and especially like um oh and just before i i get to the especially part so the second point is the third film, in some respects, might not be relatable, but uh, you know, to the majority of people, like if you have, like I think, if you have kids, right? If you have kind of like a long-term marriage, maybe a lot of those conflicts are, you know, conflicts that uh, people, you know, in marriages with kids, especially if they've been divorced or whatever, uh, they're they're probably going to see something there, right? They're probably going to have some conflict with an ex-wife. They're going to mm-hmm. have some conflict, maybe if they have like a shared custody of children. Right. So uh, those are also possibilities. Those are definitely relatable. But I meant in terms of like his career as a writer is totally alien. Or she's like working for the UN, you know, that kind of thing. You know, and I mean, you get I understand her frustration because she she's kind of, you know, she's pissed off because she gets she has to handle the minutia and the bullshit of life while he gets to go out on two hour walks and mm-hmm. do his feel you know she goes no you're a genius no you're a genius no you're you know mm-hmm. and and uh she uh you know she's resentful for that and you know and and i i feel like his character he he's he's not so he's not so attractive to me anymore at the by the third film you know like i'm not talking why because the magic is gone well, I'm not talking because Ethan Hawke age, so it's not about the age. I, 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 yeah, yeah, it's it's the it's the it's that time and play. You know, that whole thing is gone. So, yeah. so um, I, now I just you know by third film I just view him as like, oh yeah, he's just a character in the film. Whereas like the first one, I was like, oh, why can't I meet this guy like this who talks to me? Is it? But isn't that isn't that symptomatic of like you know? Just how a lot of people think, like they they have this uh, fantasy and they don't necessarily like to see the reality. But but even so, like I I think that um uh, when I was reading your uh, your third piece, uh it's it's not that I necessarily disagree with your take on this like third iteration of Ethan Hawke's character, but I am probably more uh, sympathetic to him than you are. I think uh, the third film does a very good job of painting both uh, uh um. Uh, Jesse and Celine as somewhat, I, I don't want to use the word villainous, right? But they both have an equal number of flaws, right? Mm-hmm. And like, for example, like, yes, it is true that she has to sort of handle the day-to-day minutia of life, right? Um, on the other well, hand- Well, he gets the credit. You know, well, and she wants this job. She wants this job. She's like, you know- Yeah, yeah, and- yeah, 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 but but I mean, like- uh, there's another side to it right so like first of all um when they meet you know in the second film again and they decide it seems uh, to be with one another uh they both equally want this thing right they want to be together right Mm -hmm. whatever the consequences are but of the two of them despite both equally wanting this thing uh he is the one that has to make the larger sacrifice right he has to leave the wife granted he wants to but nonetheless right he has to leave the wife he has to leave his child 
and he has to move from the United States, being a non, you know, speaking no other languages, moving to Paris so she could continue, you know, uh, with her career and he could continue with his because he could sort of work anywhere, right? Right. He's a writer. But nonetheless, he does upend a significant portion of his life um, uh, to, you know, end up being, you know, in, in that situation. And, you know, it's not, you know, it wouldn't be enough to say that um, he wants to be with her because that's a, that's an equal Right. That's an equal set of desires. And he has he mm -hmm. has to sort of bear the brunt of it. And you see you see how this plays out uh, in the third film. Right. Where there's this interesting dynamic where his son, Hank, uh, it's clear that he is intelligent. He's very mature for his age. Right. But it's also obvious that he does, you know, at, at the very least, maybe love his father. It's obvious that uh, Jesse wants to be closer to Hank. And. There's like different little episodes where it's almost as if like she's trying to keep him from Hank. Like that little thing with like the the phone call, right? Where they're in the hotel, they're in the midst of arguing. Uh, she seems to be a bit closer to Hank in some ways. And maybe he's a little bit resentful of this. And he tries to get him on the phone and she just hangs up and just totally ignores what he wants. And granted, she, you know, it's expertly crafted in a way where she has plausible deniability. She could say, oh, but look, he's about, he was like, I think going like somewhere like with his friends or like something like that. Mm -hmm. So there's like plausible deniability, but you know, you could, you could say, oh, wait, wait, Hank, just wait five seconds. Your dad wants to say something to you. And she totally ignores that part of him. So I think that the film has, does a good job of, you know, uh, giving a sufficient flaws for both. Right. Mm -hmm. e even like, you know, there's also things that she does, uh, perhaps, you know, out of like, well, you know, earned resentment or whatever else. But she does do things like um, uh, when he says, like, oh, I'm going to use like this line that you just said, I'm going to put it in a book. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And she, she goes, you know, it'll be the best line in the book. So, so, so I mean, like, what is she doing? Is she is she is she trashing? Like, I, I, I assume that she's attracted to him because uh, at least partly because he's a writer and maybe she believes that he has talent. And if she believes that he is a writer of talent and this is specifically what she's attracted to, why are you trashing this hypothetical novel that's not even released, right? That hasn't even been written yet, right? So there's like moments like that. There's also the fact that in terms of like finding like equal flaws, um, both of them seem to like uh, admit to having cheated on one another simply by virtue of the fact that neither of them deny it when they're accused. So he accuses her of sucking some guy's dick. I don't remember the context. And she accuses him of fucking one of uh, his fans, right? And neither of them deny the other's charges, right? And then when she asks him, like, say it, say, say that you didn't fuck her, like whatever it was. And he was mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to have this conversation. You know, he's not even willing to deny it. But it's also kind of obvious that she probably, you know, had some sort of sexual contact outside of that relationship, right? So, you know, um, but but also there's this, uh, I feel like of the two of them, like he does, he does, he is ultimately the one. And maybe this is like, a, you know, Richard Linklater, he's the man and he's sort of like maybe putting himself in there. But he is the one that has to sort of ground the two of them in the end. He has this really wonderful line near the end where he was like, um, uh, what was it? It was something like, um, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not giving you permission to count me out. Right. And I thought that was a great line because you could imagine a situation where, uh, 
there's two people in a relationship and they both have something that is overall very good, right? I wouldn't say that these two have a bad relationship, right? And they've been together long enough. They have a long enough history that they probably should stay together. And near the end, she's like, you know, I don't love you anymore. We just, it just seems kind of absurd to me, like in context of the three films. And he has to be, you know, the one that says like, puts puts his foot down and says no i'm not gonna let you do this to us right and he has to go back and sort of like essentially court her near near the end so you know maybe she does have mm -hmm. like histrionics and you know but in general i think the film does a good job of creating um you know like sufficient faults for both of them you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know she definitely uh has a lot more i think more anger in the third film she's very different than i mean you can tell it's the same character um, but she's definitely uh, more assertive in the in the third film. She mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and and in the second uh, one too, right? It, it progresses that yeah. assertiveness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in a in a funny way. It's a really weird comparison, but I don't know if you've seen the, the first Terminator and the second Terminator, yeah. the progression <laughs> of Sarah Connor. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say she's that extreme, but you go from like this, which I was actually thinking I would review those films for your site sometime. Mm -hmm. But the first film where she's very, ah, ah, you know, real timid. And the mm -hmm. second one where she's just like, you know, you know, and I mean, mm -hmm. like total shift in evolving in, in, in that character. And um, yeah, again, I wouldn't say it's quite the extreme, but she she definitely has again i wonder how many men who fantasized about her when from the first film would still feel that in the third film mm -hmm. you know because i i i mean i i mean this i'm not fan you know i'm like ethan Hawke's third care you know i'm like eh, whatever you know honestly because my perspective i'm sitting there going yeah he's probably not a good writer anyway <laughs> yeah I do that yeah, anymore. yeah, that's not that's an interesting thing. Yeah, but but in terms of like uh, uh, who, who would go for her, I mean, it, it, that's the thing. If you're growing up with the films and you rewatch them as you're getting mm -hmm. older, and you're a male, if you're a maturing male, right, you should be probably more attracted to like you know the the second and third iteration, right? You know, um, but you can remember. I mean, you can be attracted to. There's not. There's nothing wrong with being attracted to a fantasy. You imagine yourself there so it's sort of like an outside thing i don't know but but but, but like e even like when i think back in my past of like you know previous partners or whatever or even like you know like my uh even like my my wife right going back to when we first met like just the the further and further back that i go in history i i guess i could appreciate the nostalgia and the romance or whatever else um you know 10 years ago 15 years ago whatever teenage years but immediately a wall comes up and an intellectual wall of like yeah but like you were fucking miserable as a teenager you had all these other yeah. problems in your life you weren't a writer yet and you wanted to be and you weren't sure if it was going to happen so mm -hmm. all those like uh it, it's it's much easier uh t for me like i could still appreciate those things but you know generally speaking uh i do have that intellectual wall where i have to hold it at arm's length simply because i know that um, you know, I, I'm much happier now than I was like 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right. So, you know, and well, I, I, I just have like more, more things that I could attach to, you know, more things that are real. Right. So, 
Well, I just remember thinking like when I saw the first film and then just just putting where I was in life. I mean, I think I was working my, you know, obviously I was home for the summer working a part time kind of cashiering job, renting this on a day off or after work. One of the days watching it, thinking, why is it I didn't articulate this, but I felt this because like, why is the only glimpse of culture I get? from blockbuster in this little box that I take home in this like cartridge and you open and you stick Mm -hmm. this thing in. And I was just like, why can't life be more like this? And so by the third film, I'm like, I don't want that life. No, 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 that's not, no, 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 that's not, not, you know, and again, that that's just an emotional reaction, but, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's just, Maybe, maybe for someone who grew up in, in Europe, they might have a different feeling about it. But, you know, again, when you're growing up, you're in like freaking boring ass United States somewhere in the mid 90s. And you're oh, like, United States is wonderful. <laughs> it's fucking wonderful. And you're kid, you're, you can't say that without laughing. But well, I mean, it, it depends on where you are, right? Okay. If I was growing up in Florida. Right. It's one thing, but I, I still have the nostalgia, right, for New York City, still living in New York City for a reason, for, find it very hard to leave. Right. I, I mean, again, but your perspective is different. You came from another country. I yeah. grew up here. So for me, again, it, to me, it was the U.S. was the epitome of blandness. Yeah. And 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 I wanted to to be like, you know. Anyway, it's, it's stupid. I know it's dumb. This is this is what the film is. Again, I'm, yeah. I know I'm, I'm going to be 46 years old. I don't still have these idealizations, okay? Mm-hmm. But if I'm remembering, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, that's that. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, I mean, you, you could have the blandness. I, I remember uh, when I was in Belarus, uh, what, I, I would often just sort of like wander off. Remember, like I like to wander off by myself somewhere. <laughs> I like to wander away. That, that's actually an allusion to when uh, I first uh, visited Dan and Jessica in Texas. And we went in the jog and it was so fucking hot. I couldn't continue <laughs> jogging. And Jessica continued jogging. She left me behind. It's it no, like middle, uh, middle no, no. of nowhere. No, no, no. I, I think I went back you to t- go and get you, water. And, and you told and you told Dan and you told Dan, oh, he just wandered off somewhere. No, no, no. I, t- I, I, t- I went back home to get water. And so I got in the car with water and then I went. Oh, there I was said, a car? You yes, got in the car? I, I, I picked you up. Yes. I said, I told you, go straight and turn this way. And then I go, great. He didn't. He went the other way. And I was like. But going back to the films, you know, one of the things I thought was funny is that in the first film, there's a constant mention of like um, Ethan Hawke, uh, Jesse says, not service oriented. So we get the sense, yeah. Europe, not service oriented. And then when they're sitting in the restaurant, there's there's a bunch of people of different languages speaking. And then you hear some people who, who are Americans and they go, I, I can't believe this. If this person, if this was New York City, this person would be out of a job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just took that as a kind of like, um, you know, it's like a slight against Americans, right? You know, only a certain oh, yeah. kind of, only a certain kind of person would say some, you know, dumb shit like that. Um, yeah. yeah but, but, but speaking of the first film, there was a, there's this interesting dynamic between the first and the third where, um, so like in the first film, right, you have this like a gradual buildup of romance. And I could see how maybe uh, this influenced uh, later films down the road, right? So, uh, a few months ago, I saw um, 
uh, th that guy from uh, Norway. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Joe Trier, who did oh, Oslo, August 31st. Johan Trier. Trier. I just say Trier. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm just pronouncing exactly how he's we are. We are Americans. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, he, he has a similar thing going on. Well, like, first of all, it's not, uh, th that film, uh, a worst person in the world. It's not a very good film, but there's actually, wait, which it, one? It's called the worst person in the world. Which one is that about? Uh, it was released. Uh, I think this was last year. Um, and it's basically a, uh, uh, it's, it's two people that they both have relationships and they uh, meet one another uh, and they start forming a relationship with each other. They break up with their respective partners. Um, oh, I don't know that one. This isn't the one with Isabel Hoopert from 2015. Okay. Uh, there's one of, then I haven't seen that one. Yeah. But anyway, it's not a very good film, but there is actually an extended sequence that is a, a truly great sequence. And I think it was uh, influenced by. Um, uh, uh, by by before before uh, sunrise, where basically the, you know these two characters they they see each other at a party, which is how they meet, and they're 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 kind of like observing one another, and you could tell there's a kind of tension building, and then when they meet, right, they sort of. Uh, they're not uh, they're not trying to cheat on their respective partners just yet but they keep like doing things to sort of like be right on the cusp right on the edge of cheating and they ask each other like is this cheating no and you know it's getting closer and closer but it's like a wonderful way of building up that tension right and i think uh, a lot of films were probably influenced by how before sunrise handled that aspect right you you see mm -hmm. you know the kind of influence of that um, but while this is going on in the first film, in the third film, um, this budding and buildup of romance, that tension is built, is replaced by a completely different tension. And this new tension is a gradual buildup of like ribbing one another, right? There's, um, I, I think one of the best parts of the movie uh, in the first like maybe 45 minutes or so is they start talking about one another, especially like in public, like when they're, you know, among the, the like the Greek authors or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. The celebrities. And um, they're saying things about each other that are both kind of playful, but you could sort of tell that maybe there was like some resentment underneath. And sure enough, mm -hmm. you know, later on, mm -hmm. the resentment does come out. But that's and 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 that's the thing, like in public, at least. Right. They never get to the point where uh, maybe in the, unconsciously they remember that German couple on the train from a very long time ago. So they never allow that to boil over in public. But you know, they always like sort of like pull themselves back from the brink before they say something like that's like over the line or hurtful. Right. And then they start being sweet to one another. Right. Um, so it's an interesting kind of thing that changes. Right. You have this like t uh, romantic tension in one film and then you, s you still have like a bit of a romantic tension in the last one, but it's replaced by there's something bubbling underneath that's naked mm -hmm. and bitter and resentful. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that he makes, she makes fun of him kind of like, for uh having kind of dumb fans dumb female fans and yeah. it's a joke and he goes i don't know why i'm so attracted to this woman because she's just like oh so you yeah. write like books and stuff yeah well we no, know why, why he's attracted though but no i we just i remember we understand these things work some episode of family guy was doing not to bring up family guy but i will but it was funny it was it goes um, <laughs> a girl's on a phone. I, what do you write? Or I write books. What's that? Uh, it's like an internet made out, made out of a tree. <laughs> mm -hmm.
That's good. Don't change my cat. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to probably want to join in anyway. Yeah. You guys never see my cats anymore because I close the door when I'm when I'm recording oh. something. But I should I should have somebody down here. One well, time. you got to you got to let them in for the party hour. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I'm going to bring Cookie down. You know, she's such a good girl. She'll be she'll be game oh. for that. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, well, well, just to get back to the first film a little bit, um, just give some more examples of what I consider to be like, you know, pitter patter of like smaller little insights um, that that don't necessarily stand that well on their own. So uh, I mentioned, you know, I know planes are safer, but I can always see the explosion. Celine also says something like uh, the media controls our minds. Right. That's like a, a very kind of like young person thing to say. Um uh there's stuff like you know i hate being told to smile right that's just like a very mm -hmm. common you know a, a complaint uh from women but also even guys got i remember one time some guy fucking told me he was like trying to give me something on the street and then he told me like smile when i just like ignored him right so <laughs> even guy even guys can get especially if they look pretty um uh what else is there uh, people can lie to themselves their whole lives uh uh um i i believe feminism was invented by men so they could just fool around right uh she mentions like, oh her, that's funny yeah yeah she mentions her grandmother like oh and she just lived her whole life loving another man right um that, that's like a very you know that that's something that you would expect uh, uh people in their early 20s to sort of latch on to as like examples of depth and i mean it's not like there's like nothing to those ideas i mean it, some of those are just like literally true i mean the media does control people's mm -hmm. minds i mean there's nothing wrong with the, those observations but uh as you get older basically a lot of this stuff it's not novel right it's kind of like a commonplace you know that right you know a lot of these things well, um well one important fact for those well i'm sure those who are listening have probably seen the films but i that, that i thought was interesting was uh we come to learn in the second film do they meet up and she doesn't end up showing up because her grandmother died you mentioned mm -hmm. her grandmother and they, she was literally, you know, buried on the day that she was supposed to meet him. And then she asked him, did you show up? And at first he says, no. And she said, oh, good. I feel so bad. And then she gets mad. Well, why didn't you show up? Mm -hmm. And then he does. And he, and he felt so bad or and he put up flyers and, and it just seemed, it seemed, you know, and you get that, you get that crushing because he goes, oh, I had to borrow my money from my dad. and. Mm -hmm. you know man that's that's gotta that's gotta that's gotta crush you you know and then all that time he's sitting there thinking oh she she didn't care this or that and yeah um so he writes the book saying ideally to hope to find her and then they come to think maybe maybe i saw you in new york city that time and she said well i lived on the street again missing paths like, this is sort of reminded me of of um uh if you watch the kieslowski film red is about that people sort of missing each other mm -hmm. uh and and synchronicity well the whole the whole trilogy involves that but um it's sort of taken a little bit of that and um can see where am i in this see this is what i mean the films are like where am i where's present mm -hmm. see that's the thing that's the one you're like where is the present is it the end of the last film or what uh, i don't know what they could do if they i don't think they're not going to do a fourth i can't, i think they missed when they would they could but i don't know what it would be before diapers <laughs> i don't know that was 
I, I mean, I, I could imagine a, a fourth film, but uh, none of them want to do it, it seems, um, especially Julie Duffy. She's like, no, I, I don't want to do it. Uh, but I, I also can imagine, though, like if they, you know, um, if, if they if they could come up with like a good enough script. And that's the thing, like progressively, these scripts are getting stronger and stronger. Right. There's nothing necessarily preventing them from having like a, a very strong script um, that deals with like, I don't know. Uh, what are the mature things that people very cute that people have to Dolce. deal with in their you know in their fifties uh, and sixties you know um, would they be fifties and sixties? Well, I mean, ev eventually. Well, I'm guessing if you wait nine years, it wouldn't be. But um, since they're not so far interested, it might have to be like you know who knows, like eighteen years or something, mm. right? Um, and, and speaking of, so uh, in, in the second film, uh, um. So like, yeah, he so he's he's writing this. Uh, he wrote this book, right? So he's in France, and he is kind of in the back of his mind, hoping to see her always, right? Um, who knows if he had sort of like a, you know, pick of the litter in terms of where he would do a book tour, right? But I can imagine him him choosing Paris in the hopes of uh, running into her. And there, there's this like funny thing that happens where they 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 both seem to have the same kind of mentality here, right? They are trying to find one another. She sees that, oh, look, you know, he, he's here. I read this article about him. He's uh, going to do uh, this book talk and I'm going to show up. Right. And ultimately, you know, they talk for a while. Then they're in this uh, a car ride to uh, she's getting dropped off in front of her house and she gets upset right in the car ride. And she's upset because, you know, he's like, it's kind of like, you know, how dare you? You show up with like with a with a. Uh, wife you know back home and with kids and you know now mm -hmm. you say you know that you're still interested in me and um i i can understand her frustration right but in, in some respects uh when i said earlier how we're kind of like accumulating an equal number of faults she has no room to talk right because she's she's also of the same mindset right she's willing to be manipulated in that way she's she she's a very willing player in this way like she's well, she, she she doesn't have to go to see him do his book right she she well, read the article and she knows that he's married and she, seems so happy she doesn't well, have to do that two things two things she we come to learn that her boyfriend that she has is never around yeah. so she's with someone who's never around yeah they're both unhappy yeah yeah, and then and then she she says she's resentful at the fact that she meets men who tell her, "Oh, you made me learn how to love or something. Mm -hmm. I made me realize I love something else." And they move on, and then she's she's sort of left longing. And then um, she she says, "You know, the thought that we there's only one person for us is evil or or um, or whatever." But you know. Linklater to do those long shots. I mean, that's that's hard to master. You know, they, they, mm -hmm. there's some long takes where they're walking, and uh, you know, imagine how many times you got to do that dialogue. But there's such a such a naturalness to it mm -hmm. that it, it just it feels like you're there with them, and that mm -hmm. that's that's really um, what makes us these films so so unique in that sense. I mean, it has aspects like I said of Kieslowski. Obviously, another aspect is um, the uh what is it Truffaut uh mm -hmm. films um it has aspects of a bit of my dinner with andre a little bit probably mm -hmm. um you know obviously though they um it goes in its own direction but it's very simple like i said it's a very simple kind of story just people meeting and you know what do they what do they say what do these people say when you meet there's so much of life and you know in my own writing you know 
you know, I, I sit, some people like when they want to write a novel, you know, they come up with this like intense kind of storyline of like, and then aliens can't, you know, I can't even fathom writing something like that. Like, because I'm like, I usually, I'm like, God, so what happens in life? You know, I sit here and I observe things and I think about them and have feelings. I mean, that's really, if mm -hmm. anyone's read my books, that's kind of what happens, right? Mm -hmm. The characters are about, they talk and they feel things and they reflect and they look and they observe. And, and that's the book, you know? Yeah. And you're like, um, I mean, and so whenever I've sat down to write something, I got an idea already, you know, for my next one, I got but I got to sit there and say, okay, okay, what's this person? What's the, what's the motive and what's the, uh, you know, the, the crux of the, the dynamic here. Once I get that, then I can go with it. But, um, but coming up with some intricate kind of storyline, that's why these films, you know, resonate with me. It's just, mm -hmm. it shows you what good dialogue, great dialogue can do. Yeah. I, like, I, yeah, like a, a, anything that's too complex plot wise. Like I remember when I did it with Keith, uh, uh, the Chinatown uh, review. Mm -hmm. um, like the first time I watched Chinatown, uh, honestly, it was it was a pretty uh, uh, difficult to watch simply because it was just like very very convoluted, right? Um, and that was uh, that was that was pretty annoying for me to uh, like kind of uh, uh, see, right? But the second time mm -hmm. around, it, it's a lot easier simply because you, you know what the plot is. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm definitely partial to films that are just kind of like, you know, adult kind of drama. And mm -hmm. even if like, you know, even if uh, the first film is like uh, essentially, you know, people that are just after the, their teenage years, it's still an adult kind of drama in the sense that these are mature people, you know, with some sort of internal depth, right? They're not mm -hmm. going to be moved by, um, they're not going to be moved by that um mm -hmm. well like i mean some of the films i've reviewed for your site i mean i've i've chosen obviously a wide variety i sometimes it's what's hit me sometimes i have a list and say okay i gotta get that but uh, you know last year miriam bot i enjoy that film um it's it's a bit um on the one could say it's a bit cerebral on the, on the cold side emotionally but it's really just about a guy who had met a woman a year before and she doesn't remember him mm -hmm. and it's really um last year miriam had that's it mm -hmm. and it, it you know and it's just really interesting i mean if no one's seen the film i recommend it you know and then you had that scene with i'm sure i assume you've seen it right mm -hmm. where you have the the statue and you have two different interpretations of a statue where you have is the man holding the woman back or is it the woman holding the man back and she sees something and, and both are correct. And that's sort of, you know, again, really insightful into how perspectives are interpreted or, or presented within characters. And that's, you know, just how you should craft your characters where you at least have to have, even if you don't agree with the character, you at least have to have some kind of a plausible, I think, perspective that you're like okay i don't agree but i know where they're coming from you mm -hmm. know and that's the, that's the source of good drama yeah. if you just have bullshit and somebody shows up and you're like hi i'm gonna blow up the school today la, da, la, mm -hmm. la, la. oh don't do that okay mm -hmm. you're right you know and they just go home <laughs> you mm -hmm. know you're like uh <laughs> you know that doesn't really work you know um, what, 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 do you, what do you think about the fact that in the first film, um, you remember the, the the scene with the poet, uh, beggar type mm -hmm. character? Oh God, uh, that guy! He's like you're like oh God, yeah. Yes, uh, uh, 
he, he he does you know he doesn't he doesn't write like a good poem or anything but there's a couple of interesting things that i uh that i noticed it's like first of all um he's like this odd sort of figure right that kind of like interrupts essentially their you know their, mm -hmm. their daydream but he interrupts them just as they're about to start having like the first like argument in fact they say like you know where we having our first argument uh -huh. he, he, he by by sort of interceding there he allows them to continue this fantasy you know unabated right um mm -hmm. because they they could they could have like progressed uh into an argument so i thought that was a nice touch um but in the secondary way it leads to like uh, a, a a smaller little argument after the fact where He's like, oh, I, I think he just, you know, um, had a poem written and he he was just waiting to, to use mm, that word, mm -hmm. right? And and she, who is also, you know, kind of like, you know, very romantic, she's uh, she's kind of like, no, like, I, th I think it was, uh, you know, he just did it on the spot, right? She she seems to have this kind of like a, a significant attraction to artists, right? Which is, which is funny. I mean, like, think about it. So in this film, she's interested in him because he has this like RC kind of quality, despite so far not being a writer. In the second film, she's married to a photographer who's too busy essentially for her. And in the third film, she's married uh, back back to the first guy who's also an artist who seems to, I don't want to say not have enough time for her, but he's kind of like in his own world and she has to like sort of pick up, you know, the day-to-day -day pieces. And yet, it does seem like she keeps being attracted to these types, whether it's the artsy uh, um, Jesse in the first film or the poet in the first film, or it's the absentee photographer or the kind mm. of like almost absentee Jesse in the third film. And then she complains about it, right? That's an interesting little thing where she keeps she keeps sort of a mm. moving towards that because she's she always has that romance in the back of her head that she keeps trying to kill to the point where she's saying things that are kind of like, you know, almost like over the top, right? Where she's like telling Jesse in the second film that it's not so bad that he's like never having sex with his wife, despite the fact that both of them are capable ha of having sex. And they just don't because of, uh, you know, just because of either the alcoholism or like the depression or like whatever it might be, right? Um, uh, or like just literally problems in the relationship, right? Um, so it's like an interesting little thing, right? She She does sort of gravitate towards like, at least some of the source of her own problems, at least a little bit, right? That's not to say like that she that she can be play, blamed for the absenteeism, but you know, on some level, she must sort of know what she's getting into. But it's almost as if she feels like she keeps getting into the magic and the fantasy, and, and not um, dealing with the actual fallout of what that what that entails. Uh, you know, like wh what is mm -hmm. actually being married to an artist? Like that has a mm -hmm. like, it, it, especially if this is an artist of like worth, right? An artist of substance. There's yeah. certain things that have to happen, right? That artist needs to be alone. That artist needs to at least somewhat be, you know, in his or her own world, right? Um, that's simply part of the deal. Or in the you know having having certain kind of sycophantic fans and um, the fact that you know maybe she won't get all the attention or have to get stuck with minutia and those are the kinds of things you don't think about in the beginning because I think you know in the beginning with the romance and the idealism you think you're always going to be talking like this you think you're always going to be you know interacting like this and that's not the reality. I mean, you got, you know, day job, you got to pay the bills, you get home and you got headaches mm -hmm. and you got to clean the house and take the kids are sick. And, you know, there's all so many things to do in life. 
can get in the way so much of art, but then so much of art is life. So it's just interesting how life is incorporated into art, but it also kind of can hinder it at the same time. And, um, you know, depending on your perspective, again, how you're willing to look at it. And, uh, you know, clearly, you know, I wouldn't want to write my, any book of mine, all the minutia I do in a day for the shit out of my readers. But if I could come up with a few observations, then I've succeeded, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's just, yeah. I think that's, that's sort of what you have to just take these moments. And, you know, it, it's, it's again, too, like, they're, they're the whole idea of the end of the first film and they, they go and they have sex in the park or whatever they, you know, and in reality, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, first of all, I would have to pee. Uh, I would need water because they're drinking red wine. I'm like, I get thirsty. I would get hot. You know, like all these little factors. And, and I remember watching this thinking, if I was walking around all day, I would get hot. I'd want to shower. <laughs> I'd be like, you know what I mean? But again, because it's, you know, these things mm-hmm. don't happen. You know, how often do you see character in a film have to go to the bathroom? Not very often. Unless, mm-hmm. you know, it's a Cassavetes movie or something. But um, um, it, it, there's a couple of things uh, that I just remembered from uh, um, the films and also from Before Midnight. So, so the first thing is that... Uh, it is uh, given that this is uh, a little bit um, like Jesse centric. I feel like all three films are uh, kind of Jesse centric. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's it's almost like following his life a little bit more than it's following her life. Uh, I yeah, th- I would I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, one part of that I find interesting is. Uh, it's always kind of like he is in a foreign setting, right? So in the first film, you know, he's in Vienna uh, and, you know, they end up like walking around and it's kind of like a little bit of a foreign setting for her in Vienna, but it's more foreign for him. In the second film, he's coming to Paris and he's uh, seeing her, right? In mm-hmm. the third film, mm-hmm. they're both in Greece, but you know that they're also living in Paris. So he's still kind of in this kind of like external world. I'm not exactly sure what the meaning of all that is, but uh, it, it, it definitely does mm-hmm. Add mm-hmm. something, even if it's something. As I said, when I was talking about earlier, how he had he had to be the one that made some of these significant sacrifices. That's part of it, but I feel like there's also something else going on, where almost as if like her criticism of him is being refracted in the fact that it's almost as if like this exotic world is like unfurling before him, mm-hmm. and it's always like mm-hmm. catering to him, right? It's always like treating him well in some yes, in yes. some respects. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? Know. It's like everything works out for him. You know, it's kind of like pisses me off and it kind of pisses her off, you know, like why does but it, she have- but, but but it does work out for her as well. And she has that service oriented mindset. I mean, Greenpeace, UN, these are some tough ass jobs. Like, you know, I'm sure that also takes a lot of time away from her personal time. And these are all, you know, like a, a writer is to be a writer is not like a careerist thing in the traditional sense, but it does take a lot of time, obviously, even if you're just like sitting and thinking, right? If yeah. you're working for the UN, it's a different thing. It's careerist in the more traditional sense of mm-hmm. you have to literally dedicate yourself to that. And then on top of that, so you're dedicating yourself to like other human beings, right? If you're working for the UN, but then you also have a family at home and you have a husband. Um, so I mean, it, it, yeah. it, like, it is an interesting kind of tension. I, I don't think uh, either of them comes out as being necessarily, you know, worse than the other, less mature, Um you know, uh, they, they, they both have uh, their moments and that's kind of like, you know, it's hard to do that. Right. It's much easier for 
someone to just write a villain right um and, and not show like i mean even in like uh in in uh woody allen's um husband husbands and wives right like so the the judy character that's played by mia farrow and then um we have uh the woody allen character they're married but uh, G- Gabe, right? Who was the Woody Allen, Woody Allen character? Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. also kind of fucked up, right? I mean, yeah, he, he's not. He's not like he's not good. He may be. He may be not as uh, as bad as Judy, but he's also not good, right? Um, so yeah, you always lusting after a twenty year old student, and he's yeah. he's all inappropriate, but. But um, but, but, you know, but, but that tension is also nice. Like I also thought, like when I was thinking of the romantic buildup in Before Sunrise, even in an, even in uh, um, Husbands and Wives, like that early those early scenes with Rain and Gabe, uh, mm-hmm. that that you know, even if it's kind of creepy, there is a natural kind of flirtatiousness that builds up, and it's it's well done. You know, like it's interesting mm-hmm. to watch, right? You you want to mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because remember, uh, one of the things about that film is. Uh, and I know because you reviewed that film many, you know, that I found is all the characters in that film are pro- kind of pretty much scummy in one way or the other. Um, you know, the uh, I don't remember the, the then the Sally with her husband, mm-hmm. who's you know who I mean. And yeah. but but the only person I would argue who's probably a nice, good, decent person who's treated like shit is the aerobics instructor mm-hmm. that he he hooks up with and she's just being honest like i mean mm-hmm. i know viewers are like what film are we talking we're talking about husbands and wives and she i'll just tell for people who haven't seen the film this you know the what was his name what's 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 sally's husband's name played by it might be uh, michael no, that's Michael is is the the new husband of Judy. Uh, Michael's oh, yeah, a love yeah, yeah. Michael's a love interest. It's it's um your Tom and is it Oh god. Well, I whatever. I mean it's, me. it's 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 the non-Judy couple, yeah. Yeah, and so he he goes and he he wants to have an affair with his aerobics instructor cuz he's a lech. And so this aerobics instructor is just basically a stereotype of a kind of, you know, I wouldn't say a bimbo or anything, but just somebody who just isn't particularly an intellectual. I mean, mm-hmm. she's interested in health food and jogging and, and these are good things to be interested. But then, but then he brings her to a party and mm-hmm. she starts pontificating about astrology. And she yeah. says, the stars predict your lives. And, and he, he gets embarrassed. So yeah. he pulls her out and she has a, you know, she freaks mm-hmm. the fuck out, but he's acting like an asshole. He treats her like shit. And it's like, you know, this is who she is. This is what she is you're you want this aerobics instructor and and now you're you're you know chiding her for embarrassing you in front of your friends well you shouldn't have gone out with her then she's just being herself and uh you kind of i kind of feel sorry for her but she oh well she is dumb in that one scene where she they're walking she she, she is painted as a bimbo she is no she walks you're right she walks past um they watch past Kurosawa's Ran, Ron, mm. and they go, she goes, well, Mr. Smarty Pants, Shakespeare wrote in English, not Japanese. Or or, or that other <laughs> scene where um, they're, they're out uh, and they're like, oh, let's go get Mexican. And she's like, oh, I flip for couscous. <laughs> but but actually in that film, uh, speaking of like, you know, happy relationships, uh, in terms of like who's like scummy or not, 
there's this extreme, like my favorite part of the film definitely is the part where Rain is having her, what is like her 21st birthday party or like whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, you see, you see her, uh, uh, you see her parents in this like very like off the cuff, very casual moment. It's only just a few seconds, right? And they're like in the dark somewhere, like alone, and they're talking to one another. And the parents say something like, oh God, it's been what, like 30 years? And they're looking at each other so lovingly and they look so happy and they look like they're so right for each mm, other. And mm. it's just a few seconds. It's You just get those few seconds and it's the only happy couple in the entire film. And all you get mm. is, it's a very, very wonderful poetic moment that's totally unexpected. Could easily miss it. Could ease the, you know, easily yeah, uh, miss the import of it. Yeah, now that you say that, because I remember her mother's played by Blythe Danner. Mm-hmm. And and so I don't remember father. Okay, now that you say that, I remember that. And uh, and and so in terms of going back to the before films, I don't think that uh, by the third film they really Celine and Jesse have a moment like that. I think they're just kind well, of like well, well, that, that. That's why I brought up husbands originally, uh, husbands and wives, because um, I I think I do see a moment like that. Like, do you remember when they're all sitting around and it's like you know the writers are sitting around and it's like their friends, like some younger couple, and some of them start talking about how they first met, mm-hmm. and you could tell by the way that they first met. It's not necessarily in the same way that um, uh, oh, Celine yeah. and Jesse met, but you could tell on the faces of Ethan Hawke and uh, Julie Deppy. You could tell how they're kind of enraptured listening to how they, uh, how these other couples met. That they see themselves in there. They're remembering mm. how happy it is. Yeah. So, so they actually do have that. And you, uh, and, and that kernel that they have, that internal thing, um, never actually goes away. It's true that, you know, they come to like this or that brink and they have to pull back. And, but th- that nugget that's there, um, it seems like it's not just. It's not just that early nugget. It seems to have like flowered in other parts of their lives, even if they have to keep working at like, you know, beating back the weeds and ensuring that there's still, you know, primarily flowers there. But uh, just just like in Husbands and Wives had that moment that you could just miss. Uh, also, I noticed that mm-hmm. the same thing here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I had forgotten that line, though. I flipped for couscous. Yeah. <laughs> Watch that movie. Um, <laughs> and and, and uh, anyway, I don't I don't want to talk more about husbands and wives, but I mean, um, I don't really have too much else to say about the uh, the trilogy. I mean, we could it's ninety minutes, uh, a little bit less. We could sort of cut it here and do the after party. Okay. Um. Let's see. Do we want to do any kind of closing thoughts or anything? Sometimes I wish that if this was a live stream. People could write in their questions or comments, and then not that we'd have all the answers, but or yeah, but. I mean, um, may, may, we, we could potentially okay. at some point set up a live stream. There's a way to live stream uh, Zoom through YouTube. Might be a little complicated, but might be worth trying at some point if we have yeah, if we have once, something that's like very you know very good once for you something get like that. once you get enough kind of subscribers because I know some channels do that. But I mean, I guess I guess for me, you know, and I'll just I'll sum up. Um, like like I said, I feel like this these films are are sort of like just a long extended moment in time. And it's sort of in, in a sense, sort of like you watch my dinner with Andre and it's like this, the film is just so it, it like, it sticks in your mind from this distance, you know? And mm-hmm. so that's, that's kind of what these films do in, a, in, you know, and it's like, so like I said, it's like, where's the present, where's the past. And 
I know a lot of the people listening are probably going to be younger than I am, not, you know, born in the 80s or 90s. So they're not going to necessarily have the nostalgia for the first one the way I did when I was 19 and I saw it for the first time renting it on VHS. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I sometimes think about like, just for me thinking moments in my childhood or moments in, in, in my past where it's like, okay, this is, this has come and this is gone and, um, it, it will never return again. And, mm-hmm. and I think that moment going back to what we were saying about a shared moment, I do think that in the third film, there's a lovely moment where the sun is going down or it's the moon, mm-hmm. it's the moon and they go going, going gone. And so, um, that's kind of like, you know, the moment mm-hmm. passing, the moment passing. And, um, so it's just, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's hard to just, I find, I find myself sometimes I'll be like, is that this film or that film? You know, they kind of all blend. Like I said, it's one lump of time, but, um, they really, you know, it's just a really uh, great, you know, work. It's a great trilogy that I think, Every person should watch, and especially if you're you're a writer and you want to, you know, um, tame, you know, work on your dialogue or hear some good dialogue. I mean, this is definitely something to to view. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, one way that I could end uh, alluding to some of this dialogue is it's like the the uh, the, the films really do a, a good job of kind of like uh, pushing you through you know, various realities and fantasies and, you know, how they kind mm-hmm. of like interplay and morph. I remember um, how in uh, Before Sunrise, uh, when it's like still nighttime, right? And and they don't want to leave one another. Um, and uh, Julie uh, uh, Del- Delpy's character says something like, oh, you know, like, I don't want to, um, you know, like, it, it would be very hard to say goodbye then. And and he says, well, you don't have to say goodbye then. We could just say it now. Goodbye. Goodbye. You know, like, later. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's kind of like, you know, um, like a means of like perpetuating, you know, let's let, let's stay above reality. We could do it. We could play a game with reality. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, as you get older and you and you uh, watch uh, the second film, the third film, uh, you, you do start to notice that you don't necessarily have to stave off reality uh you could continue playing some of these games and there's nothing wrong with that right but that's because like life ought to be treated um you know both seriously and as a game right uh, se- seriously enough that you can treat it as a game right um and you know the, the film kind of uh, the, the the three films show that pretty well mm-hmm. uh, maybe, and, maybe and it's, could, yeah yeah it's just like i said it's just for young people watching um, I encourage to watch the films, but I also think there's something, there are films worthy of rewatching. And, and it's like for the reason that we're saying is like, yes, every great film you should rewatch. Okay. But you rewatch it, not just for the film, but really to assess where am I in life? What do I think? How, do, how is my perspective changed from the characters? Do I still see life the same way as they do? You know? And so, the film really, it'll be interesting, Alex, if you watch the third film once you hit, you know, how old, 41 they are, I think, in their early mm-hmm. 40s. So when you get old, when you hit that age, watch it again, see, see what maybe there's some things you'll notice, you know. And, and so that that's really what art is for. It's just, you know, yeah. this kind of timeless thing you can return to and give you insights. You'll see things you didn't see the first time. And that's, that's mm-hmm. why we do it, right? <clears throat> yep. 
Awesome. All right, guys. Um, thank you for watching. Uh, the website is automachination.com where you could read all of Jessica's essays, not only on these three films, but on other uh, items as well. My essays, other people's work. The Patreon page is patreon.com slash automachination. Again, we'll be uploading uh, a bonus show. We, so we will be drinking wine, right? Okay, okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we will be drinking wine. Okay, progressively, you'll see you'll see things get crazier and crazier. There's a lot of stuff going on in the Patreon-only feed. Um, if you want to be moved likewise, patreon.com slash automachination. Thank you for all of your support, and I'll be coming back with more artifacts, actually three more uh, uh, this month um, uh, before the month is out. So thanks again, and for patrons, we'll see you very soon.